We're in Revelation chapter 3, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, and hopefully you got a Bible. Uh, you always want to have a Bible. Uh, grab one out of the back if you need so, English, Spanish, whatever you need, and uh, so we teach verse by verse through the Bible here, and um, we are going to finish up here tonight in the last two of the seven churches, the Lord willing. And let's pray together. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, by your great grace, that you would give us ears to hear tonight all that your spirit is indeed saying to the church. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Revelation chapter three, looking verses through seven through 22 tonight at the Church of Philadelphia and Laodicea. And you know, as uh, we've been looking through here and studying Revelation and, you know, my heart was just, Lord, speak to me, you know, out of these seven churches, uh, I'm sure there's something out of all of them that, that you uh, have to speak to me, to convict me, to heal me, to sharpen me, whatever it is, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a sweet season, I, I hope for you as well, you know, the, the church of Ephesus was the first church we looked at, the church that had so many things right, but they had lost their first love, there wasn't a passion in that relationship. And boy, we really saw, didn't we? How Jesus doesn't look at this church as a corporation or an organization or a business or he sees it as a relationship. And if you would, the church of Ephesus as a business was running and prospering and you know, you know, pumping out success. And Jesus says, Success isn't what I'm, you know, is not what I'm looking for here. Success will be there, but it's relationship. And there's not this passionate love in all your great teaching and all your great doctrine and all your great apologetics and all that. If it's not a love for me and we're not having this love relationship each and every moment while we're journeying, I'm gonna kill it. I, I, I don't want the church to exist whatsoever in Ephesus. If you're giving me an option of this great, strong business running powerfully with all these you know, professional, qualified people at the helm and, and they're, you know, I, I'd rather it not exist. Eye-opening. And then we saw the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church, but yet with the persecution also comes the purity uh, of the church, and then the compromising church of Pergamus. Uh, boy, again, that was quite convicting, as we saw again a church that was willing to to compromise their morals and their heart towards God to have their creature comforts. And then Church of Thyatira, the immoral church. And then the church of Sardis, the apathetic church we saw last week. And then tonight we're looking at Philadelphia, which is good news. It's, we'd call it the obedient church. And there in verse seven, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he was holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. You know, we just need to stop and remember It's Jesus. He is holy. (laughs) He is true. And he is all-powerful. He opens, and it stays open, man. 
He shuts and it stays shuts. And, and it's amazing how uh, the devil comes in and he tries to say, you know, you know, holy, that's not holy, that's legalistic, that's not true, that's a lie. And, and, and the devil, the world, man can come and say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, Jesus is true. Jesus is all-powerful. And if, if you would, I, it's sort of a crude saying, but Jesus is gonna have the last laugh. You know, uh, when all the dust settles, when all the smoke is gone, it's everything the Bible says is true. You know, man can say all day long, there's no hell. There's no judgment. Fornication is not a sin. You know, adultery is okay. I mean, man can say whatever they want. But what the Bible says, the Bible says. And people can twist it around and try to get it to say it doesn't say that and try to say it's okay. And it, God has said what he has said, and it's not going to change. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 4, and just a powerful statement to all of us today. But I fear, lest somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he who preaches another Jesus whom he have not preached... And he goes on to say, you, you may well put up with it. You, you just may tolerate what they're saying. Jesus is this or Jesus is that. You know, in our culture today, there's people just out and out telling you the Bible is for homosexuality. There are many, many mainline denominations who are telling you that homosexuality is... People are born that way and God not only accepts it, he created them to be that way. And if you say God is against it, you're against God. If you say that's sin, then you're the one who's misinterpreting the Bible. You'll not find one place in the Bible that has anything positive to say about homosexuality. And you will find the words abomination (laughs) talking about it. Now, do people feel they were born that way? Yes. Do people genuinely think they're they're supposed to be that way? Yes, they do. We spend every summer a six-week series explaining why that is and how it is from a very, very young age people feel that way. It's, It's complicated. But yet the Bible says as we come to the last days, the entire world is gonna be saturated with the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a homosexual society that God destroyed. And he says, that's the society you're gonna see before the coming of the Lord. The other thing was the days would be as Noah, which was a violent society. And the world's gonna become this violent world more and more. Wars, rumors of wars. It's, it's a, all a part of the birth pangs as we're heading towards knowing that we're not in the last days, we're in the last moments of the last days. And again, so I don't want to sit up here and say, you know, God's reason to exist is to hate homosexuals. It's a lie. He loves them. 
We love them. The world says if we say homosexuality is a sin, then we also say that homosexuals are evil and should be killed and they're stupid. And, you know, none of that's true. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't say that. They simply say it's a sin like other sin, but it's a deeply deceptive sin. And when the church is being told to accept something that's not true or they're evil, then now we're in a place of decision and we just need to come back, just get our eyes on the Lord. He is holy. And we are made in his image and we are commanded in more than one place in the Bible to be holy as our God is holy. What's that mean? To, to be as he is, unique in the ways he's unique. The Holy Spirit is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. This is the unique character of God. And we're to be in that same way. And he is true. All the word of God is true. We know the truth and it would set us free. God doesn't say adultery is a sin because he hates us and wants us all to be miserable. He tells us adultery is sin so we can be wise and to say, that's gonna burn us, that's gonna hurt us, that's gonna hurt our children, that's gonna hurt our spouse, that's gonna hurt our family, that's gonna hurt our friends. And we can put our hand in the fire and then say, ah, yeah, the fire does burn. Or we could just say, I've been told the fire burns. (laughs) You know, I can feel that it's warm, that, you know, I, I need to not do that. We don't need to put our hand in the fire and get a burn to say, oh yeah, the fire burns, look at the scar. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? In the same way, God tells us a lot of things. Not to condemn us. Jesus, in in John 3, said he didn't come to the world, condemn the world, but to save it. So all these other things, we, we need to get our eyes upon him and realize he is the one who is true. And he he's the one with the keys. He can shut, he can open. We see the, the ten virgins in, in the parable in Matthew 25. Jesus giving a, a, a parable of people ready at the rapture and people not ready. And five of the virgins had oil in their lamps and their, their, their lamp was shining bright. And the moment came and the, they were ready and they went off to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But five of the virgins said, ah, we don't have enough oil. They had to go buy oil. They, had, then they, got, they came late and the door was shut. They said, well, we're ready now. We know where we need to be. And the door's shut. We're not opening it. Well, come on. Nope, it's not opening. And the Lord, in essence, is is saying that we need to be ready. We need to be ready now. It's not a matter of figuring out to be ready after the fact. Um, And again, the world is trying to get us to be afraid of a lot of things. We only need to fear God. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is to fear God, to reverence him and to realize he's the one with all power of eternal life or eternal damnation. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said this, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is what Jesus taught. In Luke chapter 12, verse four and five, he says this, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more than 
than that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. We need to fear the one who has the power of eternal life. And so again, you you may be sitting here absolutely miserable tonight. Miserable because of relationships or health or finances and, 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 and you're just saying, I just want it to end. It doesn't end for us, <laughs> okay? The moment we breathe our last here, we awaken another, I don't know, another realm of some type. Either we go to be with the Lord where there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. We're right with him and we continue to live with him throughout eternity in heaven, or we go immediately, we awaken into a lake of fire and pain and sorrow and weeping and gnashing of teeth and pain like we've never imagined it, a darkness. And so again, you know, people today foolishly say, I'm gonna kill myself and then I can be out of this misery and probably to find themselves in a misery a zillion times worse than they were here. People wanting to to believe they can die and be right with God even though they lived as a sinner. In the Old Testament, he he says it's the foolish man who's drunk, but yet he thinks he'll be counted along with the sober. There's, There's a person who wants to convince themselves that this is who God is and God's not gonna judge and God's not just. God's not righteous and, and you know he's the big Santa Claus guy and everybody gets a present. Nobody really gets a black coal in their stocking and you know we're all gonna be in heaven. We're all gonna be you know, accepted by God just the way however we decide we wanna live. It's, it's a lie. God is just. And Jesus took all the sin of the world upon himself so the Father justly judged our sin in Jesus. And if we come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner and surrender our lives to him, then our punishment has already been satisfied in Jesus. Nobody's going to heaven by God, you know, waving some magic wand and saying, ah, live and let live, you know. We're all bad, we're all good, we're all, you know. No. God is, is just and even the smallest, the smallest of sin, which was just a mere thought of sin in your brain, God has to justly judge and it would mean eternity in hell on that one tiny little sin. But Jesus took from the tiniest to the greatest of all our sins and there he was tortured and crucified and paid a horrendous price on the cross. So you could go leave this body to go present with the Lord righteous before him. So God, (laughs) no man, as he says in Romans 2, is gonna have an excuse before God. God has not just done a little bit to forgive us. God has not done just a tiny bit that we can go to heaven. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to be horrifically tortured and brutalized and crucified, paying for your sins, that you can stand righteous, just before him. And uh, again, it's God is gonna have no problem judging man who has 
forsaken that. As we're going to go later, it gives a list of those he's casting into the lake of fire. And the first on the list is unbelievers. After that, he gives the list of horrible, evil, wicked sins. But it's interesting, really, the greatest sin man will ever commit is not murder or extortion or it's rejecting the wonderful gift of God having a son horribly tortured and die for you and to reject that I mean just just imagine that I mean just imagine if your your son was a horrible drunk a drug addict. And another guy sees it, he's getting ready to get hit by a car and he comes and your son pushes him out of the way of this other child and he gets killed. And you walk up and you say to this guy, you didn't have to push him out of the way, he would have been fine, he never would have been hit by that car. And here's this guy who was a hero who pushed this drug addict drunken son of yours out of the way (laughs) and you're just looking at this guy you're not a hero it was unnecessary I didn't need you to push him out of the way You, you imagine what a slap in the face that is in the same way by God's Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin of your unrighteousness and you in essence saying to God I don't need your son I don't need the cross. I'm good enough on my own. My righteousness is good enough. What I think is as good as what you think. You think this about fornication, homosexuality, whatever. That's your thoughts, God. These are my thoughts. They're equal to yours. Maybe even better. All of these things, again, God's... God has no problem judging the unbeliever because of their rebellion against him. But again, the door is open right now. You're here tonight. If you can hear the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart, God tells us the door is open. Satan wants to come, say God hates everybody, the door's shut. Your mind may say you're not good enough, the door's shut. You may hear some voice from some person telling you you're too evil, you're too sinful, you're too weak, the door's shut, God doesn't want you. Well, guess what? Jesus, who is holy, who is true, he opens and the door stays open. This is what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11 to 13. He says this, for the scripture says, whoever, guess who that is? Whoever, young, old, rich, poor, whatever part of the world you live in, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is what? Rich to all who call upon his name. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. God right now has the door open through his son Jesus Christ doesn't matter how many sins, doesn't matter how great those sins, it doesn't matter who or what you have done, God has paid for it on the cross. God's work on the cross is greater. 
Jesus Christ has paid for your sins that you can be made righteous as he is righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we can become the righteousness of Christ. He who opens the door and it stays open, guys. But it's not gonna always stay open, is it? There is gonna come a day that that door is shut. And the Bible tells us to make sure we come now why it is. And you may say, oh, the door's shut till the day I die. That's not true, guys. The, the door is open as long as your heart is tender, as long as you're able to sense your sin and repent. And the fact is, is you can say no to God or wait to God. Your heart, you know, just like the inoculation of the flu virus every year, right? Just a little bit, a little bit until you become inoculated, until you hear of your sin and there's no conviction, till you hear of your need to believe in Jesus and submit your life to him and there's no ability to repent or believe or to turn your life to him. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't, don't think that, oh well, you know, God's always gonna keep that door open and, and next year, 10 years from now, whenever I'm ready, then I'll come. That's not true. Today, when the Lord is giving you that opportunity, you need to come. Well, in Revelation chapter three, verse eight, now saying, I know your works. That can be good, <laughs> that could be bad. Depends on your works, right? For the church of Philadelphia was good. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have little strength but have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, look, there's a door. I think he's speaking of evangelism. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says this, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. (laughs) There's this door to preach the gospel. There's a lot of people hating my guts for doing it. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, the door was opened to me by the Lord. In Colossians 4 verse 2, He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for whom I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul's saying, I'm in jail, but I also know that there's there's opportunities. Why a prisoner? I'm not not limited here. (laughs) But we need to see. Open your eyes, see. You may say, you know, in in the course of a day, there's just never an opportunity for me to share the Lord. There is, guys. There is. You need to open your eyes. The Lord, Lord, open our eyes. There are so many opportunities. I know in the years of being a Christian, I have been told more than one time when I've shared the Lord, people would say to me, you know, this morning, I just cried out to God and just said, Lord, I am so miserable, show me the way. And then, here you are, sharing the Lord with me today. I've had that numerous times, and you can't tell from the outward, can you? You can't tell by looking at a person going, now there's a person that looks like a, ready to be a Christian, or there's a person that would never listen to me. You know, God told Jeremiah as a young boy, don't be dismayed by their faces. You cannot tell by looking at somebody what's going on. So you say to somebody, just share your heart, just like they were a a Christian. 
I mean, if I were to come up one of you after service and say, man, I was reading today and the Lord spoke to me, can I share with you? What would you say? Yeah, boy, this is awesome. Tell me what God shared with you today. Do that at the gas pump. <laughs> Do that to your next door neighbor. Do that in the, in the grocery store. You, you'll be amazed if you just talk to people like you would share with another believer, you'd be amazed how open people are. We are spiritual beings, guys. We're a little bit of some other elements, the same as dirt, <laughs> about 70% water. But you get rid of the water and a few of those elements, we're spiritual being that's gonna be for eternity. And people sense that spiritual nature of theirs when they wake up in the morning, they sense that spiritual nature. When they're driving in the car, they sense it when they're going to bed at night. And they can sense that my spirit man is not right with myself, with others, with God. There's something horribly missing here. And if they have not heard the gospel, God's Holy Spirit, it says in John 16, is every day convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. God is knocking at the door. And and it says in, in Romans 10, how will a man believe unless he hears? How will he hear unless somebody preaches? How beautiful on the mountain are those who, of the feet of those who go to spread the good news. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing unto God to those who just take their little feet over and just say, you know what? I just, I'm watching you put gas in your car here and it looks like you got a minute. I just gotta tell you, that God loves you so much he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. You're a sinner, but God loves you. Or just go up to somebody and say, have you thought about spiritual things lately? 99% of the time they'll say, actually I have. Sometimes they'll say, who are you and what businesses are yours? You just say, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's commanded me to do this. Guys, you'd be amazed. Say almost anything you want. (laughs) People are open. But share what God is is pouring into your heart. The door is open. Look, there's open doors before you. And now you say, oh, I just have little strength. How many of you guys, the idea of witnessing just sort of causes your knees to start shaking and you sort of want to buckle? Well, guess what? Everybody feels that way. Well, the great apostle Paul never felt that way. Oh, yes, he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse one, Paul says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now here's the great apostle Paul, a decade into being an apostle. You'd think he would have gotten brave in that time, wouldn't you? No, here's how he was. Years and years after being an apostle, full-time job preaching the gospel, but look in 1 Corinthians 2, 3. I was with you in what? <laughs> Weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Does that sound like you when you try to share the gospel? Yeah, I don't think that's gonna change, guys. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. You say, every time I, you know, in my mind, I have this great witnessing thing and it's so smooth and slick and and. And then I open my mouth, I'm stumbling all over myself and, you know, misquoting it and saying stupid things. And, well, that was the Apostle Paul as well. 
And he was a great learned man, a great orator. But yet when it came to preaching the gospel, just like you and me, he just found himself not with eloquence of speech, not with persuasive words, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, you know, they won't say, oh, well, you know, he gave this excellent, you know, the five reasons you should come to Christ. Number one, and boy, I was just persuaded, you know. It was so slick. I found myself praying to receive the Lord. And I didn't even know what happened. You know, it's not, it's not gonna be that way. It's okay. He's not gonna walk away because of your slick words. And, and then you walk away going, the guy told me to get lost, but, but I forgot to share that verse. Oh, only had I shared that one verse. You know, it's not that, guys. We're a tool. God's spirit's gonna use you. But again, if you're thinking, well, I will start sharing my faith the day that I just have this amazing boldness. It's not gonna happen, guys. This is why he says here again, you have little strength, <laughs> but the door's open. And you're gonna find that always pretty much to be the case. The giant door's open and little strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, Paul says this in, about sharing our faith. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are in God's fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one where aroma of death leading to death, to another where aroma of life leading to life. Who's sufficient for these things? This is radical. We have the power to lead somebody to Christ for eternal life. Or we have the ability to lead somebody to Christ and they reject the gospel unto eternal damnation. And you're gonna go back to the history of time and it was us. That's just, it's just overwhelming. I, I can't think of a greater joy than to think that God used me, little old me, with little strength, with little knowledge, with little power, out of the claws of Satan, out of eternal damnation unto eternal life. And we're gonna get to heaven and go back and to see that. I mean, don't you want there not to be one person that's true of, but you've led dozens, hundreds, and you're in heaven and these people are, oh, there's the guy that <laughs> led me to Christ. There's the guy that gave me the ticket to eternal life right there through Jesus. I mean, what a gift. Who's sufficient for these things? Again, the, the, the Bible makes it clear in Ezekiel that God wants everybody witnessed to because there are people who are gonna reject him. And he wants it clear that they had the opportunity, that they were told plainly. God wants that, even though they're gonna reject him. He wants it is clear to them. And so life unto life or death unto death, there is gonna be a percentage. Guys, the percentage is gonna grow as we get closer to the last days. Right now in America, I can tell you I've never been horribly persecuted for sharing the faith. I've had people give me dirty looks and then, you know, you see the same person at the grocery store time after time after time, they're giving you a dirty look for years, you know. That's about as bad as it gets. Or you go to the gym and you walk in and 
They're whispering, there's that Jesus freak, you know? You try to tell me I need to repent to go to heaven, you know? And these all little group people giving you a dirty look and it goes on for a few months. I, I mean, that's about as bad as it gets, you know? There's not like an arrow, boom, you know? Oh, man, shouldn't have tried to share the Lord with that guy. He's shooting arrows at me every week. I'm gonna get one in the eye pretty soon. I mean, that could be true if you're over in Afghanistan or something. It's not true here, is it? The fact is, is we have little negative downside of sharing our faith. You say, but what if I, over the holidays, try to share with my relatives and they don't like it? You don't have to see the in-laws anymore I think Christmas time? I mean, what is the downside to this, guys? <laughs> ah, the relatives don't want to come again this Christmas. Woo-hoo! Make sure I share the Lord with anybody else that might come. Either they get saved and I enjoy them or they quit coming and I enjoy myself. Either way. Um, tr- seriously, the door's open, guys. The only reason it's shut is because you're saying it's shut. The door's open. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, and we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Guys, every one of you may have little strength, but God through his spirit has made us all sufficient through the power of his spirit. And you may feel again, the door's not open, it is. You may feel you have little strength, everybody does. But by all means realize the Lord has done a marvelous thing in making all of us ambassadors for Christ. And I cannot exhort you enough to step out in faith and and to see the joy of sharing the Lord. You know, here we are, Wednesday night. I'm telling you, every one of you here, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, before Sunday comes, the door is open every day, probably several times a day. I, I would exhort you between now and Sunday to have gone up to somebody and just say this. Have you thought about spiritual things lately? Okay? If you need an opening line, there you go. Or to read somewhere in the Bible that morning. Here's a great verse, Isaiah 50, verse four and five. This is Jesus prophesying what he'd be, he'd be in human flesh. And he said, the Father, the Lord God, referring to his Father, has awakened me morning by morning to quicken my ear as a learner, the word in the Greek, Septuagint, be disciple, that I would have a word to share to sustain the weary in the day. If you get up in the morning and read the scripture, wherever you're reading, and say, Lord, speak to me, whether it's one verse or whether it's 10,000 verses, whatever it is, God will speak to you to some verse and say, okay, that verse God just spoke to me. I'm gonna go share that verse with somebody. Hey, I just read this morning in Psalm 37, five. Have you read that verse lately? Let me share it to you. Actually, I wrote it down for you. Here you go. Now, who are you again? I'm a Christian. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And this Bible verse I wrote down this morning with you in mind. Uh, Are you in line to pay for those groceries? Yeah. God's put me in line right next to you so I can give you this verse. 
Here it is. Here's what it says. Go for it, guys. You'll be amazed. You may have 30 seconds to share. You may have, I don't know, three or four minutes or 30 minutes. I don't know. But you, I would dare to say, out of all the people here tonight, that we would probably have a dozen new people come this Sunday to church. Because they're going to say, tell me more about it. You read your Bible? What kind of Bible? You go to church? Where do you go to church? Where's the address? What time? They'll drag it out of you. It, it would be amazing to see you coming in here Sunday morning with a giant smile on your face saying, just like you said, Brian, last Wednesday night, <laughs> just like you said at the grocery store, at the gas station, or my next door neighbor, we've been neighbors 35 years, and uh, I guess I should have shared the Lord earlier. The door was open. You'd be amazed. And I'll tell you what, what joy, what joy, and what testimonies you'll have. Well, moving on, Revelation 3, 9 here. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Guys, like I said, one day, everything's gonna be sorted out. And all of those people who say they are Jews to the praise of God and are not to the praise of God, one day it's gonna be declared that Jesus they preached was a lie, that the doctrine they preached was of Satan, that their religious duty was nothing more than ritual, legalism, dead not to the praise of God. And one day we are gonna be there in our white roads of righteousness with our crowns from the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he's gonna bring all people before them, the righteous and the unrighteous, to be judged. Those of us who are righteous, we will be judged and given our eternal rewards. And those who are gonna be judged to eternal damnation will be watching that as well. And it's interesting in Luke 12, it says the last thing they're gonna see is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if you would, all of us going off to the marriage supper of the Lamb and they themselves cast into outer darkness. The last thing people are gonna see before they never see again (laughs) is you, the person who tried to tell them to repent and they hated you for it. The person who invited to church and they were mad at you for it they're gonna see you going off into eternal life and they themselves into eternal damnation. And so, guys, again, I know Satan just does overtime to try to twist things, to try to say, man, am I right telling people about Jesus? Am I right telling them to repent? Am I right telling them Jesus is the only way? Am I right really saying there's a hell and there's a heaven? And you know, J- Satan's trying to make you all paranoid and, and self-conscious about Speaking the truth. Over in Point Loma, there's a sign that says, stay away from the edge. (laughs) The the, the cliff edge crumbles and falls. I lived in Point Loma for four years. I can't tell you how many times. Old people, babies, (laughs) people of all ages and stuff would just right on the edge of that cliff be walk right up to the edge of it. Wow, Point Loma's beautiful. You know, die, broken necks. And there's the sign right next to him. (laughs) 
Maybe grabbing onto the sign, trying to keep him falling over the edge. That's us, guys. We are this light of the world, like a city set on a hill. We are here to joyfully point people to Jesus, our Savior, eternal life. And if they will not receive that, we are also a giant beacon pointing that the consequences of wanting to not serve the Lord, to not submit to them, even though their own spirit is saying that, even though God's Holy Spirit is saying that, is to tell them, to warn them of the wrath to come. And the Bible tells us to do both very clearly from the beginning of the Bible to the end, to declare to man the joy of salvation and to warn them of the wrath to come if they are unwilling to submit themselves to the God who made them. And we should not apologize for that. (laughs) We should not waffle on that. As true as heaven is, is as true as hell is. We live forever. Ecclesiastes says, God has put in the heart of every single person eternity in their hearts. A small child can say, now what was before you, mommy? <laughs> what was before you, your mommy? What was before, you know? They can, they can, as a small child can say, there's eternity. Okay, now what happens after I live to be 40 well, you get old and die of old age at 43. That's, you know, you know they, they, can go, they can realize there, there's something, it's not the end. A little child can sense it in their spirit. There's eternity past and there's eternity for future that there's, we're living forever. And I, I, my little tiny, you know, five-year-old brain is trying to grasp this because I, I realize there's something more going on than just me sitting here playing with my Legos, you know? There's something vast going on. And their little, their little hearts are, are ready to, to receive the Lord. I know my, my son Nathan, who just uh, actually was a college pastor here, just left today, heading uh, on his way to Hungary uh, to be a missionary there. But, you know, I, I can remember at four years old, the guy was a terror. And I remember one of our neighbors coming across the street going, did you know what your son did? Uh, you're not gonna surprise me, but go ahead. You know, well, you know, she, was, she said, well, he was a little guy. He picked up my cat, it was a big cat, took him by the tail and slung him over the fence. And I was like, yeah, he's strong, but not that strong, but okay. But I was just at the end of myself and I just looked at her and said, look, he is not a Christian. God's Holy Spirit is not in his life. He does not have the power of God's spirit to be self-controlled. I am sorry, but would you please pray with me for his salvation? And she just looked at me like, uh, that's not what I was expecting. And she just walked away, you know. And uh, it was only a few days after that that uh, my wife, who was homeschooling our kids at that time, and... and uh, just presented the gospel to him and he, he received the Lord and I came home and he's, Daddy, I received the Lord today, you know, and he was all excited about it. Just, I, I, don't, I don't think he was even five years old yet. And after that, you know, he was still a little rascal, don't get me wrong, but there was definitely a change in his life. Definitely, even at that age. And I'm telling you that at a very, 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 <laughs> Young age, people can sense eternity in their hearts. And so let's not make an apology 
for declaring the whole truth of God's word, right? Every bit of it. And those who are liars, those who are saying they are Jews and they are not, they are the synagogue of Satan. There's a real devil out there, guys. And I'm not gonna apologize for that. I'm not crazy. I don't need medication. I don't need to get locked up. There's a real devil out there. And he's a spiritual being. And I understand why you can't see him or shake his hand or you know, throw rocks at him. He's, he's a spiritual being, but he's very much out to kill, steal, and destroy. And all those who listen to him and are being empowered by him and following him and declaring his demonic doctrine one day will see us eternally righteous standing with the Lord and they themselves will have to declare the truth at that moment as they're being thrust into outer darkness. In verse 10, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Guys, just very clearly, if you didn't get the message, Jesus is telling all of us, it's not an easy road to be a Christian. Jesus said in John, in this world, you're gonna have many tribulations. Be a good cheer. I overcome the world, you're gonna overcome the world. Paul in, in Acts 14 came and told the church, you've just begun suffering. There's many more trials before you enter the kingdom of heaven. And the church rejoiced going, oh, wow. Oh, okay, it's not me. <laughs> it's not an unusual difficulty I'm going through here. This is, this is normal. Christians suffer a lot, even though God's all powerful and all loving and, and, and he could keep me from suffering. He's allowing suffering to come my way. And, and okay, I got it. Life's a vapor. We're going to be with him eternally without pain or sorrow or suffering. But Right now, we have to just persevere. And so we have the story of Job. Brian Parrish, this last Sunday, taught on Job. It's just always a good reminder, isn't it? God allows us to suffer not a little bit, but sometimes a lot. And we see that he loves us. And what's that gonna overcome the world? Our faith. And, and we have to just simply say, God, whatever you have. I, I have horrible pain in my knees every day. I wake up in pain, I'm in pain all day, I'm in screaming pain, often can't sleep at night. And I can tell you, I've not, I've been very upset at times <laughs> just because of it, but I can tell you, I've never for a second been angry at the Lord or upset with the Lord or disappointed in the Lord or, you know, mad that God didn't answer my prayer. I, I, I just know, it's like, it's just for a second, <laughs> We're gonna be in just a second out of these bodies with the Lord and it's gonna be irrelevant. But I can also tell you, I've seen people who everything's going their way just destroy their lives. And I know, I mean, one day I'll see it from heaven, but I know that whatever pain I'm in is protecting me, is saving me, is causing my mind to think in a way that it wouldn't think without pain, right? Right? Sometimes it's poverty, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's economical, sometimes it's physical. And, and there's not one coincidence in God's kingdom. There's not one hair on our head that, that's insignificant, right? Every sparrow that falls to the sky, the Lord takes notice. There's no coincidence in God's kingdom, guys. 
If you get in a wreck tonight and lose your right arm, trust me, you are better off without that arm. <laughs> I don't know how, and I understand it's difficult and painful and humiliating and, and it's hard, but I also know that God is on the throne. There's no coincidences in his kingdom. And, and whatever comes your way, no matter how humbling or difficult or frustrating it is, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and everything give thanks because God is giving you the best. But I lost my right arm, but it's the best. <laughs> Things would not be as good now from this point forward with that right arm. I, it's been my experience observing people. I have a good friend that their whole family, not through the lottery, <laughs> but through business, their entire all his brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces, everybody became millionaires. And he has watched over the last three years all his brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces destroy themselves. Literally every one of them. The brothers and sisters that were all close, almost all of them hate each other, won't even talk to each other. All his nephews and nieces, they all went out and got their Porsches and bought their own houses. Every one of them at this point, except for like three of them out of 15, are all in drug rehab. <laughs> They've all got their Porsches and crashed them. They all got their houses and end up drunkards and drug addicts. And just literally a family that was doing well. They, most of them are not Christians. Interesting, the ones that are have done much better, but many of them have even struggled much. And, and I just plain ask him was the money a blessing absolutely not it was just a test from God it was a trial and I can tell you my life with money has been harder than it was without money and but I know this is my lot I'm supposed to have this money to be a good steward of it but it's not a blessing like everybody thinks oh you get money and oh all the problems are gone now it's, it's not that way guys and so again, here's the word from the Lord. You have kept the command to persevere. Persevere, guys. Whatever struggles you're going through, praise the Lord and persevere. And be ready. This verse has been on my heart for weeks in, in Luke 21, 34 to 36, and how applicable it is to us tonight. Luke 21, verse 34. But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and notice here, the cares of this life. Just life. <laughs> Just life. And the day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It's gonna come as a snare. People who are not ready at the rapture that are left behind, two in the field, one's taken, one is left, two at the mill, one is taken, one is left. The one that is left behind is gonna be on regret that they're on this earth during the tribulation period. But in verse 36 of Luke 21, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And so I say to you, if you're growing weary and well-doing, stop it. <laughs> Quit growing weary. Suck it up. 
You're on mile 18 of a marathon and you haven't finished. Slap yourself in the face, throw some cold water in your face, get a bottle of Gatorade, whatever you gotta do. You know, I, I was talking to some people this last week. They just said we had to completely shut off our TV, our internet. We just, I don't know how long this season's gonna last. We just have to shut everything off to get back to the Bible, <laughs> get back to talking and being with each other. Maybe that's where you're at. Electronics is strangling you. You're entertaining yourself to death. You know, what is it? I, I don't know. But be willing just to say, I'm gonna kill this and start this and stop this and start that. Whatever it is, guys, you do not wanna be on that airplane with a Christian pilot, okay? You don't wanna be getting an operation by a Christian doctor. You don't wanna have to turn on your tap water with a group of Christians who run the water plant. I mean, I can keep going on down the line. It is gonna be a snare on the whole earth to be on this planet with the multitude of Christians who are key people all across this planet. And of course, Satan is gonna, the chain that's holding him back from ripping people apart is gonna be cut and he's gonna be free reign to take over and against, of course we know as we're gonna go, the Antichrist is gonna come over the world system with the military system. You don't wanna be here. Well, verse 11, behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have and no one may take your crown. Guys, the Lord's coming quickly. It may seem to us like he's never coming back, but to the Lord, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Hold fast, hold on guys. It's gonna get harder The closer we get, the harder it's gonna get. But don't let anyone take your crown. What a wonderful thing. And 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of what? Rejoicing. You ever think about that? We're gonna have a crown of rejoicing. In 2 Timothy 4, 8. Finally, there is laid up for us the crown of what? Righteousness. In James chapter one, verse 12, blessed is a man who endures temptation for when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life. In 1 Peter five, verse three, nor as being lords over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. There's all kinds of crowns. The Bible, we're gonna see here in another couple of weeks where we, the people have crowns to throw before the glassy sea to worship the Lord with. I want a crown just to throw at the Lord's feet, you know? Well, finishing up here tonight, I guess we're not gonna get to the, <laughs> the seventh church. That'll be next week. But in Revelation 3.12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Notice here, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So here he's saying, you're gonna come in and that's it. You're gonna be with me, at home with me, forever and ever and ever. Did you, did you ever notice that when you get older, you can't go home really anymore? You know, I remember that was a very sad day as I entered into adulthood around 45 or so. And, and uh, 
But do you guys remember that? You, you, you left, maybe you went off to college or the military or, and you tried to come home and you realized you're not a kid anymore. It's never quite that same feeling at the holidays at Christmas or, or whatever. There's, you sort of go through that period where you're a man without an island it's never quiet. And of course, you try to create it for your kids, but as much as you try to hold on to it, there's a day where they, they also just, you just need home, don't you? We have our Father who's in heaven for eternity. And one day we're gonna be able to go home, jump on his lap, put our arms around his neck, make fish, face, fish lips with his lips and pull on his beard and give him a big kiss and just be at home forever. And there he's gonna write on us the title deed that we are belong there as much as we are there, the name of our God, the name of the city. And notice the new Jerusalem which comes out of heaven. Some of the commentaries actually teach this, that in the new heavens and the new earth, that the new earth is probably much like our earth now, the way it was before the flood, but Jerusalem is actually like a big giant, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like an island in the sky. It actually floats above the earth in rotation. And because we're not limited, you remember we, uh, we're gonna see later we're flying with the Lord on horses out of the sky coming back to earth that we're, we're gonna be able to fly probably, to some degree, or jump on a horse and it'll fly for us. I, I don't know. You know What we're gonna be like, who knows? We're gonna be like him. But actually, wherever you're out on the planet, you can just bop up to the New Jerusalem, wherever you want. Go to the New Jerusalem where the Lord is, where he's ruling and reigning. It's gonna be pretty interesting, isn't it? You know, again, what are we gonna be like? John says, I don't know, but I know that as long as you meditate on that, you're gonna be pure, even as he is pure. But this New Jerusalem is gonna be coming out of the heavens and... Uh, And then the final verse here tonight, verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, I just hope that more than anything. And I I know my heart has just been craving. Lord, let me hear what you are saying to Calvary Chapel San Diego. What are you saying to us individually? Whether it's the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, what, what little pieces of, of, of that are you saying applies to me or I need to repent. And um, oh, how, how the Lord loves us. How he wants to purify us. How he wants to convict us that he can heal us and make us more fruitful for his kingdom. And boy, I want to be more fruitful. Lord, we thank you for this night. And Lord, we know it's been very, very clear to every person here tonight that they need to receive you. That not one person can leave here tonight without the clear understanding that heaven and hell is in the balances. To be right with you for eternity, which is your desire, which is why you've brought them, your spirit's convicting them, calling them, drawing them, but also that if they don't receive you, they are rejecting you that by default they are choosing Satan. By default they are choosing to be their own God. By default they are choosing eternal damnation. 
that there can't be a, a waffling in between or I'll oh, just see what works out. There, we already know what's going to work out. There has to be a clear moment in time to, to, to humble themselves, to confess their sinners, and to submit themselves to you as Lord, as God, as Savior. That's true. One day every knee shall bow, every dunk shall confess that that's true. We already know that. We can picture that day coming. It's as good as if it were already happened. That's why we, many of us here, most of us here tonight, have already bowed our knee, have already humbled our heart, have already confessed you as Lord, joyfully so every day. I can't imagine waking up without you being the Lord of my life. What a joy, what a power, what a strength. You are life, you are eternal life. There's some here tonight that have come, God's drawn you, and you're, that's me. Maybe you've been coming for weeks or months, but you, you realize tonight as the light's been turned on, I, I've been coming to church, but I've really not been living in such a way that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I need to do that now. The Bible says if you'll proclaim it before men, that I'll proclaim you before my Father and all the holy angels. So you need to humble yourself right now and if you're saying, that's me, I need to receive Jesus as Lord tonight, I'm gonna ask you right now just to stand up where you're at and just say, Brian, pray for me, pray with me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I need Jesus tonight to be the Lord of my life. By standing, I'm saying I'm a sinner, that my life has not been submitted to him, but I want it to be from this point forward. Just stand up right now. That's me. Is there anyone here tonight? There may be some of you here tonight that are just not where you should be. You're saying, I have received the Lord, but you wouldn't notice it. <laughs> if there were people trying to prove me to a Christian, I, I wouldn't hold up in the court of law. There, my life has not been submitted to him. And I need to repent tonight and and, and rededicate my life to Christ. I'm gonna ask you in the same way, just stand up. I'm confessing that I've not been where I should be. I, I, I should be ashamed of that, but I, I, I'm not. I, I, right now I just come to say, I, I need to submit my life to Christ. Just stand up right now and say, pray for me, Brian. Is there anybody here tonight? Give it one more second. Well, Lord, we thank you tonight that you have made everyone of this room absolutely confident of their salvation. And what a joy that is, that every one of us here can jump and leap and praise you that there is no conviction in our hearts that we have anything more to do for a right relationship with you, that we've heard the words of conviction tonight and not been convicted because the truth is we are right with you. And we thank you for that, Lord, and celebrate that tonight. We just ask now, as you have prophesied to all of us that the door is open, we need to see it, that you would open our eyes this week and that we would have great joy and celebration introducing new family members by this Sunday. We don't have to wait another week or another month. That this, tomorrow, tonight, that we can ask people they thought of spiritual things and the opportunity of telling them about you, Jesus. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said...
Amen, amen. And before you leave, you give at least three giant bear hugs and tell him the Lord loves you. Merry Christmas. And see the doors open. Go out and preach the gospel. Okay, bye-bye. Good night.